This is the Read Your Bible Podcast, the daily podcast designed to help you understand and apply the scriptures. Nothing will grow your relationship with Jesus Christ more than studying the Bible for yourself. I'm your host, Drew Tankersley, and for the next few moments, I want to invite you to join me as we dive into God's Word together. We'll ask God to help us see what He wants us to see so that we can be who He wants us to be. Transition can be difficult for anyone. Change is hard for all of us at one point or another. But try transitioning from a fugitive to a king. Such was the plight of David, the anointed ruler, the darling boy of Israel, turned fugitive from justice, turned ally to the Philistines, and now heir apparent to the throne. But David's conduct and posture during this season of transition is so instructive for us, and we would do well to learn these lessons. And so on today's podcast, we'll discover a few of them from 2 Samuel chapter 1. Now, before diving into this passage, let me encourage you again to watch the video summary of 2 Samuel in the One Story Reading Plan. It does a great job of showing you how the story fits into the timeline of God's Word. It's well worth your time, and I'll link it in the show notes for today's episode. But for now, the first verse of 2 Samuel chapter 2. Later, David prayed to the Lord. David said, Should I go up to any of the cities of Judah? The Lord said to David, Go. David asked, Where should I go? The Lord answered, To Hebron. Now this is so telling on so many levels, because this is a very precarious time in the life of David. He'd been the favored son of Israel, the one who slew Goliath, the one who has been anointed as the next king. But for the last few years, he's been on a fu- been a fugitive and a renegade. He's been on the run from this maniacal King Saul, even switching sides at one point and fleeing to the Philistines and fighting for the Philistine king Achish. But his loyalty to Israel and to Israel's God was really never in question. You see, Saul's been hunting him to kill him. And though David really has done nothing to provoke his wrath, he's been hiding in caves and wilderness areas on the run with a ragtag group of misfit bandits and mercenaries. Now David's enemy, Saul, is dead. But rather than shout in victory, which is what we would expect, he instead mourns the loss of a friend. He's overcome with grief over the death of Saul and his best friend, Saul's son, Jonathan. It really reads like a novel. They mourn for Jonathan, David's best friend, and his father, Saul, the king, who David still clearly loved. You can see in full display David's ultimate respect for God's plan and his respect for the man that God has appointed as king. Even when David was given the opportunity to kill Saul himself, he refused to, saying, I'm not going to touch God's anointed. Now, David's respect for Saul is shown in three ways. The first is how David mourns for him. I mean, he's obviously moved by Saul's death. Secondly, he avenges the death with the death of the Amalekite, the one who came to him and notified him of Saul's death. Thirdly, and perhaps less obvious, David in 2 Samuel 2 doesn't go marching in saying, all right, I'm the Lord's anointed, give me the kingdom. Now watch what David does here. He kills the man who came to spread the news to him that Saul was dead. And he kills this man presumably because he killed the king. 
that's what Saul requested that he would do. I mean, this was something that David refused to do over and over again. We hear David refusing to, quote, touch God's anointed. His reverence for the God who appointed Saul and David precluded him from taking matters into his own hands. Now, David's next moments of leadership are critical to the whole nation. What should he do? Should he work to overcome the public persona against him as a renegade? Should he campaign for the throne that was rightfully his? Should he continue in hiding and let them come to him? I mean, the country needs their leader, but has his image been so destroyed by the lies of Saul that he can't regain the people's trust? Well, he's not really sure what to do, and so he does what he does best. You see, his life had been consumed to this point with eluding Saul without killing him in the process. He really doesn't know what to do amid the transition from fugitive to king, so he does exactly what we would expect a man after God's own heart to do in this moment. He seeks the Lord. He asks the Lord, where should I go? What should I do? Then when he finds out, he obeys immediately and lets God take control. Soon enough, the men of Judah come and anoint him as king. That's the end of chapter 2. They are, in effect, confirming what God has already ordained in anointing David. The next thing David does is the only thing that he knows to do. You see, rather than acting like he knows what to do, rather than working hastily to accomplish his own ends, David pours his heart out before the Lord, asking for wisdom over what to do next. This is the best choice that David could make. For in acknowledging the Lord and inquiring of God, David was breaking with the pattern and precedent set out by Saul of rashly making decisions and judgments that should be seen as impatient at best and downright rebellious at worst. David acknowledged the fact that he needed guidance and direction, and the Lord granted it, sending him to Hebron. Hebron was a very strategic area. It was the land that God promised to show Abram when he called him generations earlier. And in the heart of Judah, it was where Abraham buried Sarah, where Caleb had conquered the land. It was the headquarters of David's kingdom and where God would establish his covenant with David just a few chapters later. So, how do we apply all of this? Well, the first thing I think we should see is this has to inform what we view about what's so-called assisted suicide. Think about it. David is clearly appalled at the Amalekites' supposed mercy killing of Saul. This really has to inform our view, doesn't it? I mean, isn't that what Saul asked of the Amalekite? To kill him? Yet he loses his life for taking Saul's life. For Saul is Israel's anointed one, the king. God is the one who raises up kings and tears them down, and he has no right to take those matters into his own hands, nor should we. Now, the theory of thought goes that the people who request physician-assisted suicide are greatly suffering and beg for help. Now, this is precisely what Saul did. He's mortally wounded, he's in pain, he's begging for help to die, and yet the man's actions here are his own death sentence. We dare not take the life and death into our hands, for they are God's, and he sees interference with that as murder. But the larger implication here that we should consider is how David deals with the transition. He's not in a hurry. He doesn't reach out and grab what he, what's his. He waits and patiently inquires of God on what to do. Now, this is so instructive for us, for we're so quick to run ahead of God and try to figure things out for ourselves in those moments of transition, aren't we? 
It takes patience to humbly ask the Lord, what, what should I do? To wait on him to respond and walk in obedience. And yet this is precisely what is needful in these moments. How do we respond in moments where critical leadership decisions should be made? Do we seek the counsel of other people first? Do we act impatiently, promulgating the myth that we know what's best just to massage our own ego as a leader? Do we follow the precedent and pattern of other leaders that people respect? Or do we honestly take our doubts and uncertainty to the Lord and own it before Him? David's heart was to do what God wanted, and as was demonstrated in Psalm 22, he recognized that kingship is from the Lord, remember, meaning that he knew that God had appointed him as a steward of that leadership influence. Further, he realized that it had to be leveraged correctly for the will of the one who appointed him as king. Is this our heartbeat in leadership? Do we want God to be ruling our hearts so that we can be the kind of ruler or leader that he wants us to be? This requires that we acknowledge him and seek his face when making critical decisions that affect the people that God has entrusted us to lead. We need to make sure that we leverage every drop of that influence to push people to a deeper relationship with the one who is ultimately ruling their lives. So Jesus, help us to wait on you in seasons of transition. Don't let us run ahead and try to figure it out. Allow us to wait patiently for you and ask you, should I do this? Then wait for your response and obey immediately. Jesus, help us to remember our dependence on you. Thank you that we don't have to know the answers. It's such a relief that we don't have to know what to do when we're walking with you, only who to rely on. So lead our steps, O oh God, so that you would be pleased with how we leverage the influence that you have chosen to give us. May those we touch be deepened in their walk with you and trust in you as their leader. Lord, we want so deeply to live and lead consistently with your plans. So help us to live personally within your will, governed by your heart, guided by your spirit for your glory. Make it so in our hearts, Lord Jesus. For it's in your name we ask these things. Amen. Thanks for joining us today for the Read Your Bible podcast. For show notes to today's episode, please visit readyourbible.info. While you're there, you can listen to past episodes as well as access a host of additional resources designed to help you grow in your faith. It's all there for you at readyourbible.info. That's readyourbible.info. For more information about South Seminole Baptist Church, just go to southseminole.com. Join us again tomorrow as together we help you learn to read your Bible.